Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to be continuing our sermon series called Longing to Be Long, and uh, this is going to be week two in that. If you were with us Last week, then you got to enjoy Pastor Tom and his powerful message as he started this series. And last week, a few things that we were looking at is the, uh, the commonality of a desire to belong that we all have. Um, that there's this sense that maybe we don't belong uh, in some regard, which is true of us as Christ followers because we are no longer kind of a part of this world anymore. There's this longing for heaven. There's a longing for the kingdom of God. There's a longing for heaven on earth to be experienced. Uh, And then there's this invitation to journey with Jesus, uh, a longing to kind of go and to belong with him to where he would lead us. And we were challenged to go and to grow uh, last week. Some great uh, practical application just for taking steps of faith forward uh, with the Lord. Um, But we're going to turn our attention from this idea of being on a journey and going to a destination to actually paying attention to where we are at like right now in this moment, and more than just kind of like a metaphor for your life or a season, I'm going to talk a little bit about just the physical location. So right now, before we get started, I want you to actually look around. Look around the room. Look at who you're sitting next to. Those of you at home, uh, do the same thing as well, joining us online. And, And here's what I want to start with. I want to start with this statement, where you are, okay, where you are physically located in this moment and where you are as you move through just kind of the physical environment, it's significant. It's important. Place is significant. Physical locale, the physical environment, place has significance. And this is something that we don't often like think about. We don't put a lot of thought towards it. But in Scripture, it's reinforced over and over and over. And even in the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1, the idea that God created the material, that God created the heavens and the earth, that he created place, he created physical space, time, and all of the things that kind of go into that. Sometimes it's kind of too big of a thought for us to kind of move into, and so we just kind of move past it. Or we consider it as like this big cosmic happening, and then we just kind of plod through life. But space is significant that in the Genesis narrative, even as God is creating in Genesis chapter one, it's like this meta narrative story about kind of the expanse and the whole of creation. When you get to Genesis chapter two, it gets very narrow and very specific with how God has chosen to interact with mankind and where that takes place. In Genesis chapter two, verse 15, as, as we get uh, this uh, more, uh, narrowed view of creation, very specific, and looking at uh, specifically the creation of man and Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, in that narrative says this, and then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It it begins with like this idea that God initiated this relationship with mankind in a specific designed place. Now, your NIV, your New King James, a lot of the versions that you would read in English take this Hebrew word and they just use the word put because it's the most generic use 
of it, but if you were going to unpack all of the different nuanced uses of it, you would find that more often than not, it aligns with an idea of intentional placement. It's not just, I put it here or I put it there, right? You come home, you take your keys out of your pocket, and you're like, well, I put it on the counter, but you know that that's not where it actually goes. If you were going to place it, it would be more intentional. And in the narrative, there's much more intention to what God is doing. He's not just putting mankind in, you know, a, a garden or in a, you know, indeterminate space. He's being placed with purpose and with intention. And the intention as, was to begin to experience the personal presence of God. As you read the beginning narratives of Genesis, God's design for mankind was that he would have this daily interaction and personal experience of relationship with his creator. Even that idea of knowing God isn't cognitive. It's not just like I know about him or I heard that thing or I agree with that truth, but it is deeply experiential. I know God because I have experienced him at work in my life and I've seen him move and I've seen him demonstrate. I know it to be true, not because somebody convinced me of it, but because I have experienced it. And primarily this idea of being placed in the Garden of Eden comes with the significance that this place, this space was to be sacred in a way that they would experience the very presence of God. And as you move on from that, the way that sin kind of disrupts that, and you, as you begin to move through, especially the Old Testament uh, narratives, you still see the significance of place. Pastor Tom touched on this last week, that with the call of Abram, and it wasn't just a, a call to an indiscriminate wandering. He was called in a very vague way. He was invited into a very vague journey, but there was a specific destination. He didn't know it. He couldn't name it. He didn't know what it looked like, but God said, I will take you to this place, and it will be where you are. You're going to experience me in this journey, but there is a destination destination to uh, where I have you to be placed. And that narrative continues as you move through uh, the, the, the narrative of, God, of God's people to the idea of being um, uh, um, uh, um, liberated from, uh, from Egypt and brought into the promised land. It was still, it was, it was a place. It was always this place. And then there's like prophetic places in scripture. I don't know if, if, if you've ever given any thoughts to that. But Jesus being born in Bethlehem, very important. Why? Because it was already spoken of hundreds of years prior through the prophet Isaiah that it was going to be Bethlehem. Like Jesus couldn't have been born. Listen, he couldn't have been born anywhere else and still been him. He had to be born there. It was, spoke, it was designed. The place was significant. But we don't often think about place. We don't think about our geography. We don't think about the, the, uh, the, the place that we are with great significance very often. In fact, most of us have a longing to be somewhere else, right? I don't want to be here, whatever here looks like to you. I don't want to be in this job, or I don't want to be in this relationship, or I don't want to be in this class. I don't want to be in this state, or I don't want to be in this city, or I don't want to be in this rural area or this urban area. Like, we oftentimes have a discontent with where we are and a longing to be almost anywhere else. But where God has you right now today, it's significant. It's so significant. And then there are things in Scripture that are repeated, places of repeated significance. I don't know if you've been somebody who has tried to read through the, the whole Bible or whether you've gone through whole books and you've bumped into the same places being spoken of. 
It's like, wait a minute, I think I heard a story about that mountain already. There's this significant city or this place. You know, I, I can't pronounce it, but I remember that scrambling letter of words together and I, it looks similar to that. And even something as significant as like the, the Jordan River. If you read Exodus and if you read the book of Joshua, as God's people were moving into the promised land, a very specific place, they cross the Jordan River. And as you begin the New Testament narratives of Jesus' life and ministry, you find the Jordan River very prominent. In fact, the John the Baptist was baptizing where? In the Jordan River. It's, 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 it's a reoccurring place. It has significance. There seems to be things that God is doing in and around that geography pretty consistently. Place matters. And one of the reasons why we're going to spend some time on this is because there is a connection between your sense of belonging and your bond to the physical place that you are. And when you are in a place that you don't want to be and can't reconcile being, you will not feel like you belong. The sense will be you have to go somewhere else or do something else in order to belong. And oftentimes, oftentimes, that is not an actual fair lens to use to view where God has you today. But you don't feel like you belong, and oftentimes that happens because you don't feel an attachment or a bond or maybe a love would be a stronger word for the place that God has you. And so we're going to wrestle that out a little bit today because our sense of belonging and the sense of us making meaning of our lives is directly connected to, it includes location, where, where you are. In late 2009, Beth and I got a phone call at home and it was an invitation to consider moving from where we were to Sterling. It was an, in, it was an invitation just to consider coming and pastoring this church. And there was, no, uh, there was no prior conversation. There was no prior history. And as we began to kind of consider what that meant, it meant that we would have to leave everything that we knew and everything that we had invested ourselves with to go to a place that we had no friends, that we had no family, that we had no community, that there was no connection, that we were going to leave behind anything that was rooted. We were going to fully uproot our lives, and we were just going to go off into that place. There was no bond, there was no attachment, there was no care. There was just this invitation to thought. And before we had any conversations, before we met anybody who were a present part of that church family at that time, before we talked to leaders, before we in, uh, uh, interacted with any uh, denominational leaders, before we did any of those things, this is what we did. We got in our car. It was a little black Volkswagen Jetta at the time. <laughs> and we drove out to Sterling. Let's just go see. And I know that you know the right way to come into town, right? If you've got visitors, if you've got family, right, there's a direction that you give them to bring them into town, and then there's the other direction that just comes over the overpass or over there, right? And we didn't know any better, so we came in on that side of town 12 years ago, where a lot of the newer stuff that's been built up, cleaned up, right, and has a little bit of promise coming in, that stuff was not there. 
right? We blew in off the freeway to this place where it's just like looks kind of industrial and you're heading towards the train tracks and you're wondering, is there anything even on the other side of the train tracks or is this what this is? And we drove through town one time. We drove right through Main Street. Just looked, tried to orient ourselves, and we drove home, and we knew that this was home. Before anybody had actually even really formally invited us, before there was any actual opportunity, when it was just like, let's have a conversation, God began to do something in us that we knew we needed to be here and we needed to belong here. And the rest of the conversation, the rest of all the nuance, the rest of the details, they, it was just formality for us. We had already begun to, in our hearts and in our lives, transfer our desire and our, our, our value to this place. And that type of activity... Uh, that, that, that type of, of happening, and maybe you've experienced that in your own life before, uh, this connection to location is referred to as place attachment. If you like to kind of dig into some of the nerdy stuff that I reference at different times, place attachment might be something that you want to look into. It comes out of uh, environmental psychology. And place attachment is this. It's a person-to-place bond... Okay, so when a person has a, like a bond, like a, uh, an affinity for or a connection to an actual geographic location that is produced through an emotional connection or a meaning or an understanding. And that sounds kind of a little bit academic in a sense and maybe a little bit uh, uh, kind of out there depending on kind of what framework you, but you have. But, but these things are very, they're, they're very easy to recognize. Okay, because place attachment is primarily reinforced in three kind of buckets of influence. And the one is by people or person or personhood, uh, community, uh, community identity. The simplest thing to do would be to think about it this way. How many of us know a grandparent that moved to a city because a grandchild was born? Right? They didn't care about that town when their kids lived there. But a grandbaby, oh, we got to sell the house and we got to move across country. We got to get to that place. This is my favorite place. What? Why? Grandbaby. Right? There's this, there's this attachment to that place. And they couldn't imagine being anywhere else because of that person. Okay? This can happen in, in young couples who are considering getting married. There's this, there's this draw. Sometimes place attachment comes because of the actual physical location, the place that it is. I have friends who would never move away from the mountains because they could not imagine not being in a place that had mountains. It wouldn't even require them to be at a specific type of mountain. They just always know that they want to be in reach of the mountains. Same type of a thing with the beach or vice versa. People are like, man, I don't want to ever be sandy and burnt again. I'm moving somewhere else. That it's the actual geography that kind of creates uh, this, this type of, of a bond, this type of attachment. And the other way that place attachment happens is through uh, process. just means it's your experiences and how you process those things. You've been in a place that made you feel good. 
right? It was, it was positive. You had uh, a, a moment of, of affirmation or it was something that you take pride in. Uh, it's something that becomes familiar or maybe like you would say, I love that place. Well, what, what about it? Well, I can't just, it's just, I know how I feel when I get there. I want to be there. Process can also be something that's reinforced by what's called cognition. It means that I've, I've thought about it, and primarily that's from memory. Memory. In between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, I had an opportunity to go up to Oregon and to work with my uncles, and we were about two hours away from a town that I had lived in uh, from like kindergarten to third grade. It was like, actually, it was like preschool to second grade, I think is the accurate window if we want to split hairs. But I remember borrowing my uncle's truck, driving the two hours there. I was fishing in a creek that we had frequented when I was a kid. And then I went into town and I found the two houses that I lived in when I was four, five, six years old. And I could, by memory, drive my way through the town and find them. I didn't know the streets that they were on. I didn't have an address. I just knew where the house was. There was the green house and the red house and they weren't even the same colors anymore but they were in my memory. I knew exactly where they were. And being there, sitting there, like, was just this flood of experience and memory, and that house had significant, that house had place, and nobody else would have cared about it. It would have been nondescript. It would have been dismissed. See, but there was place attachment. And there's a sense of when you bump into those types of experiences where you feel like you belong there, you feel like you'd say like, man, I feel like I'm coming home. See, because place does have significance. Now, the question that we've got to wrestle with is this. Have you ever been in a place that you sensed you didn't belong? Right? Maybe you feel like that now. Maybe this, it's in your job. Maybe it's in, in, in your classroom. Maybe it's in your career trajectory. Maybe you feel like that way about the city that you live in or the neighborhood that you live in or the house that you live in. Like there's this, there's this disconnect and there's this sense of like, I don't belong here. Sometimes that lack of belonging comes with not feeling connected to the place that we are. Sometimes it's actually significant and helpful, right? Sometimes it's comical. Maybe you've walked into a bathroom and you've looked at the toilets that were there and you're like, that isn't the toilets that are normally in the bathroom that I'm in, right? It can be like helpful, like you don't belong here, right? Get out. It's better to have that recognition than somebody have to correct you as they come out. You know, and sometimes there's places we don't want to belong. You know, I run into people in our community who just can't wait to not be here. What's funny is I run into people in our community who couldn't wait to move here. And one of the things that I recognized when I was young and I moved from place to place to place to place is every place that I went, there were people that didn't want to be in that place and they couldn't wait to get out of that place and get to a different place. And sometimes they would say that they couldn't wait to get to the place that I just left and just had a conversation with people who couldn't wait to get out of there to get to the place that I just went to. And I remember scratching my head as a kid and just being like, the, the, everybody's trying to get to where they're not, but nobody wants to be where they are, but they all seem to have the same thought. 
See, there's, there's something in that when we don't feel connected to where we are. And especially if you're going through a season that's difficult, where there's challenges, if you're going through a season where you would say, man, I feel lost right now, all of those things get uh, kind of uh, highlighted. It becomes a little bit more challenging. But if you're in a place where you don't have a positive attachment to where you are, and you're wrestling with recognizing like how do I how do I be me here how do I belong here what I would suggest to you is that you can create sacred space sacred space and that that experience will help you have a sense of attachment to where you are and it will help you have a sense of belonging Rather than always longing for something else or something different, you can settle in and belong where you are, even if it's temporary, and you can lean fully into the things that God has for you in that so that it's not a wasted season or a wasted place because God doesn't look to do that with those things. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 in just a moment. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts willing hearts to receive from your word today. Lord, for the places in our lives where we struggle to be fully present, where we struggle to be content with where you have us, Lord, would you give us a willingness to embrace the possibility of experiencing you in those places not just metaphoric places, not just uh, as a, a placeholder for the season of our life, but literally where we are, that we would experience your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 3, if you're familiar with um, the book of Exodus, we're picking up in the narrative of Moses' life. If you read Exodus chapter 1 and 2, it just lets you know what's going on with God's people at that time. It wasn't a good season for them, and they weren't in a place that they really wanted to be any longer. Moses had had this dramatic divine rescue when his life was put in danger, and he was brought up in the house of Pharaoh. He was in a place that had influence, power. He had station. He was being groomed for leadership. He recognized that and he started to have a heart for his people and then he decided to act in his own volition to kind of bring about a, a, a judgment and a liberation and it backfires on him. Pharaoh is looking to put him to death and he basically escapes out into the wilderness. He goes from a prominent place of leadership and affluence. He goes from a place that he would have had everything at his heart's content and at his hand's disposal to losing all of it in one rash decision. And now he is a nobody from nowhere. He's gone from being a leader in the house of Pharaoh to being a leader of sheep on the backside of the desert. He's an ordinary man in an ordinary place doing ordinary chores. And I would have to like read into the text to say that he wasn't content. I don't know that. I would have to be just summarizing my thoughts. But I, knew, I do know that where he had been to where he is, it's night and day difference. 
and that there's a high probability that he would have had a really deep attachment to where he was. Because he ended up where he was with no family, with no friends, with no support. And he ended up just kind of being grafted into this sheep herd family. Working with the family business. And Genesis chapter 3 starts with another just ordinary day. Right? It's an ordinary man in an ordinary place doing ordinary things on an ordinary day. He's just out taking care of sheep. I was going to say he was just out shepping sheep because I don't, I don't know even if that's the right word. But that's, if I'm putting those things together, that's how I got to hear it. It's just out shepping. I guess it's hurting. Is that how it would be? We'll see. There's nothing significant about where he was. There was nothing significant about who he was. And then he finds himself in a sacred space. I'm going to read a series of verses here. They won't be up on the screen, but when we highlight the individual ones, they will be there for you. But I'm going to begin in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and it says that now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then God begins to speak and says, basically in a nutshell, I see my people, I see their oppression, and I'm going to do something about it. I haven't been distant. I haven't had my eyes close to this. I'm fully aware of the challenges. I'm fully aware of what's going on, where they are, and I'm about to do something about it. And then he makes this statement to Moses because Moses is going to be part of the solution. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You're going to come back to this place. And Moses said to God, suppose I go. And your people ask me what your name is they ask what is his name then what should I tell them and God says to Moses I am who I am this is what you are saying to the Israelites I am has sent me one of the things that happens to Moses here is that his ordinary day in an ordinary place doing ordinary things gets extraordinary very quickly and you can kind of trace the conversation and you can trace kind of the physical anomaly and the like this bush that's on fire in the desert but everything changed because of the presence of God. Let me say that again. Everything changed because the presence 
of God was there. It is unlikely that Moses had never been to this place. This place wasn't formerly significant. This wasn't a place that he went because somehow there was something special to it. It is likely that he had visited this in the years and years and years and years, the 40 years of serving Jethro, that he had been to this pastured wasteland, that he had been to this place in desperate search of pasture, that he, he would have been familiar with it. And it was the far side of nowhere. But all of the sudden, this place takes on new significance because the presence of God is there in a tangible, specific, expressed, palpable way. And now all of a sudden, God says, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Nothing unholy about wearing sandals, but giving Moses a very practical understanding that where you are is different than everywhere else you have been. And bringing recognition to that. That ordinary place became sacred space immediately. And what's interesting is when the narrative starts, it says that Moses was over here by Mount Horeb, and it was called the Mountain of God. And it's interesting to kind of surmise, was it already spoken of that way? Or as this was being written years later, was it recounted as that because God had shown up? And you'd really have to kind of do a little bit of a dance to land on either side. But there wasn't any significance expected there until after this event. And then there was a promise that, hey, you're going to come back here and you're going to worship me in this place. And what I want to do for you is I want to just unpack very briefly what Moses experienced and what I believe the invitation is for you and I when it comes to experiencing sacred space in our lives. If you feel a disconnect from where you are, whether that's our area of Colorado or the city that you live in or our state, whether that's a disconnect from your place of employment or there's upheaval in your home, whether you're trying to navigate kind of a new direction or a career path, that there's this like disconnect and a lack of attachment to where you are and you find yourself constantly longing to be anywhere else and you're not getting what God would have for you out of these moments right now, I would suggest to you that you can invite sacred space into that place and that it would make a difference. It would begin to attach you to there. You will feel a sense of belonging. And more than that, you're going to feel a sense of longing for the things of the kingdom of God, and you will be willing to take steps of faith to move into those. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, God says, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It wasn't priorly holy. It wasn't something that had significance prior. It was made holy by the presence of God. And sacred space is a place where you encounter the presence of God. Sacred space is a place where you encounter the presence of God. If you've ever talked to somebody who's been a follower of Jesus or who have had an experience where God did something very powerful and transformative in them, and they've talked with deep affinity for something where you're like, I just don't get that. Because it's like, it's, it's, a, it's assigned to like a chair in the room or like an, a place at the altar. That something about the environment, they want to stay the same. And to you, it doesn't seem like it should be really that big of a deal. It doesn't really have that value or that importance. 
that it doesn't, it's not something that translates to future generations. A lot of stylistic issues that happen within church bodies as they're trying to figure out how to navigate change and being able to reach another generation falls down to these types of things. They've had a specific experience with the presence of God and they've assigned it to that thing or to that specific place. And that can be helpful to a degree, but it can also become something that is stagnant. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But sacred space can really be anywhere where you are invited to and extend the invitation to the Lord to experience his presence. Moses found himself nowhere, doing nothing. Sacred space, because he encountered the presence of God. And as he began to lean into this, as he began to experience the presence of God, as he began to dialogue with the Lord, Verse 10 says that the Lord spoke to him and said, now go, I'm sending you. We're not even going to consider the rest of the part of the verse because the other thing that we encounter in sacred space is we encounter the presence of God, but in sacred space, we also encounter God's design for our life. A lot of people would look at this and they would say, this is where Moses was called. This was his calling. And unfortunately, that word can be a little bit too narrowed where most of us would say, well, he's called and I'm not. That somehow there's less for you than I. It's more accurate to say that what Moses was exposed to was God's design for his life. And it was very specific. It was very intentional. And there's a reason why it was Moses and not somebody else. It was a part of God's design for him. And when you and I enter into sacred space and we allow the Lord's presence to begin to do something in us, we will bump into his designs for our lives. Maybe you wouldn't use the word calling, but you'll bump into things about your identity and your purpose and an invitation to the things of the kingdom of God. You'll become more aware of your assignment. This would be particularly helpful if you're in a hostile work environment and you just can't wait to get a different job. And you can't figure out why every time you try to weasel out of it, God seems to shut the door on you and you feel forsaken. And he's like, I have you there on assignment. I know that place stinks, but you're the only one who listens to my voice. And so you're the only one who can be used to bring change there. Will you stay and endure and be used and go? Like it can become sacred space. But if you don't encounter the presence of God in it, right? Man, I just, I want to get out of there. Like my wife and I loved this town before we were ever here because we felt the Lord speak about his design and his purpose for our life. And it wouldn't have made any difference if we would have came in on the prettier part of town. We came through the back porch and we were like, this is our place. Not because of what's here, not because was who was here, but because who was coming with us. See, it it makes a difference. Sacred space, you encounter the presence of God, you encounter his design. Exodus chapter 3 verse 12, as God is beginning to try to convince Moses of this, because he doesn't want to do it. God says simply this, I will be with you. See, in our sacred space, we encounter the presence of God, we encounter his designs for our life, but we encounter the promises of God. He reminds those and speaks those to us with intention and purpose. Moses, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go with you, I'm gonna go with you, I'm gonna go with you. 
the promises of God. What's funny to me, actually it's not funny because I think it's true of a lot of us, like that promise itself wasn't enough for Moses. If you read the rest of chapter three and going into chapter four, Moses is still trying to wheel and deal and get out of having to go. I don't think he was particularly attached to where he was, but he certainly was disconnected from where God wanted to place him. And so it was in the ensuing verses that you see the power of God demonstrated in a few dramatically miraculous ways. And he does that in that sacred space as well. If you would find sacred space where you are, your home is in chaos and an upheaval, find sacred space. Your workplace is difficult and hostile, find sacred space. The classes that you're taking are pressing against what you know to be true intuitively in your spirit about who God is, but you're not really sure how to defend it academically. Like, find sacred space. Invite the presence of God to be a part of that place. But I wanna give you two thoughts about sacred space before we close, and the first one is this. Sacred spaces can become stagnant places. Sacred spaces can become stagnant places. Time and time again in scripture, you'll see somebody have an encounter with the presence of God and they will want to stop everything that they're doing and stay there indefinitely. And every time that tries to happen, God disrupts that. Sometimes he's kind with it, and he's like, no, we're going to do this. And sometimes he is intentionally sabotaging to keep us from that tendency because our tendency would be to take a sacred space and to ruin it through rote religious mechanics. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and a larger group of people. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's teaching them about prayer in this particular set of verses. The Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, 6, 7. It stretches on. It's a large collection of Jesus' teaching. But this, as he addresses prayer, he says this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. The issue here isn't prayer. He doesn't say don't pray. The issue isn't the place. In fact, the synagogue, that would have been a sacred space. And moving out even into the public square, into the secular, and, and to, to pray and to demonstrate righteousness and holiness and godliness, that would be a thing that we would want to affirm. But the thing that is being countered here, the thing that is being brought into question is the motivation of the heart. Don't pray like those who do it for their own purposes. The sacred space and the sacred activity had been ruined by the motivation of their heart and the rote repetition of their words. But then contrasted, Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your, father who is, uh, to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, and he continues to bring some correction. There are some of your translations would say, go into your closet and pray. If you've ever talked to somebody, and they're like, man, I gotta get into my prayer closet, that's where they get that, that thought. 
Some people use it still metaphorically, right? Which just means I'm going to go, I've got to spend some time personally alone and to pray. Some people literally have a closet. The practice is what's important, not whether or not you have a closet space. Some of you are like, man, I'm in a studio apartment and my closet is already full. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just the location. Sacred places are simple places. They don't have to be. They can be ornate. They can be beautiful. They can be ostentatious. There's nothing really wrong with that either, as long as what's being done there is being motivated by the right heart. But it doesn't have to be that way. Some of the most sacred spaces are the simple spaces. Moses was just kicking rocks out in the desert. And the Lord interrupted what was going on and made that a sacred space. And he experienced God's presence and he experienced God's design for his life. And he experienced the profession of God's promises to him. And he experienced the power of God. And all of those things are on invitation for you and I. Not to say that we should expect the same experience or the same dramatic expression. But the invitation to go and to be heard, to experience the presence of God, wherever he has us, wherever he has us, is the opportunity. Church family, if you would stand, we're going to take a few moments to just think about how we can respond to this, allow the Lord to weigh our hearts. worship team will come forward as we kind of begin to entertain these questions. And there's just a, a few questions that I would encourage you with. And the first one is this. How would, your, how would your interaction with God change this week if you established or sought out like a sacred space? Like, how would your interaction with the Lord be? What would your worship look like? What would your listening prayer look like? What would your spiritual disciplines look like? If you just, if you actually set aside like a space or a place to do that. You know, so for some of you, that might be a, a brand new thing to even think in those terms. Where do I begin? I just pick a place. It's simple. Just simply pick a place. It doesn't have to be anything significant. In fact, the more insignificant, I would say, the better and just purpose to hear the Lord in that place. My place like that has changed over and over through the years. Sometimes it's kind of sitting in a chair on my own. A lot of times it's just in the car. Right, I don't need to pay attention to what I'm doing. I'm just gonna pray. Jesus, take the wheel, right? There's been times in, in my life that it was in a workplace where I had responsibilities and I would just kind of check out for a minute. You know, for some of you, this could be your break room at work where instead of going in and just like trying to get enough grit to get through the next part of your shift that you took a moment to say, all right, God, make this a sacred space. Like meet me in this. How do, how, do I, how do I be who you created to be, to be in, this, in this place with these people and with this responsibility, like whatever that would look like? Some of you may have already an established place that is sacred in the sense that it's become religious and you need to maybe disrupt that mechanism.
that you go there and you check your religious duty, you do your spiritual disciplines, but there's no real interaction with the presence of God. There's no real relational connection. You're just getting it done, grinding it out. Yeah, that's my, that's my go-to spot. Maybe go to a different spot and allow the Lord to speak to you in a different way. What, what would that space look like? But more importantly, more importantly, how, how could you prepare your heart to be there? Like where, wherever that is, wherever God has you, whatever that assignment is, whatever that place is, for now or moving forward, for that reserved space that you would say, man, I'm, I'm going to make this sacred and holy to the Lord. I'm going to set it apart for him. How would you prepare your heart to be there? Because that's more important than the rest of that. Moses was full of excuses, but before any of that, he was willing to say, here I am. And when we have a willing heart to say, Lord, I'm here, he will meet us in that place and he can begin to move in our lives as a result of that. So Lord, we invite you to do that in us this week. Lord, we invite you to bring about a divine disruption. Lord, I think all of us at times have felt a disconnect from where we are, a discontent with where we are. Lord, we would ask that you would bring about a divine disruption this week. And Lord, have uh, help us to have a heart that is motivated to connect with you, Lord, that when we find ourselves unexpectedly in sacred space, when the, the ordinary becomes extraordinary because you've met us there, where the ordinary becomes extraordinary because we've invited your presence there, Lord, would you give us a willingness to press into you, that we would experience and encounter your presence, that we would experience and encounter you speaking, your design, your purpose for our lives, that we would encounter, Lord, your promises that are yes and amen for all who are in Christ Jesus, and that we would see your power demonstrated. Lord, help us to begin to interact with sacred space this week. Lord, knowing that when we encounter your presence, that we have a sense of belonging to the place that you have placed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture of these or you can catch them on Facebook later on this week. The first one is I want to encourage you to ask God to give you a heart and a desire for where you are. So for wherever you're feeling disconnected, ask the Lord to begin to do something in your heart regarding that. Number two, establish a sacred space somewhere this week to meet with Jesus. And then number three, in that place, spend time in both worship and in listening prayer and listen for his designs, his promises, and look for his power.